Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. The silence is just as powerful. So if you're not teaching your children, we're not teaching our teenagers how to handle sexual energy, how what to do with their sexuality. That's a messaging all in itself. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hello, hello, Bettys. Welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And I'll just start off by saying that this conversation, not for little ears. So if you are in the car uh, with little ones in the back, maybe press pause until you drop them off and you have the time to listen to this uh, where there are yourself and maybe other adults uh, listening. Our conversation today is with somatic sexologist Jaya. She has been featured in Gwyneth Paltrow's Love, Sex and Goop, a series on sex and helping couples to reclaim their intimate and erotic nature. And Jaya herself has over 30 years in practice as a sexologist. And today we are talking all about your erotic blueprint, the things that turn you on and get you really hot and heavy and ready. And maybe more importantly as well, the things that turn you off, the things that you don't like. And Jaya, through her many years in practice, has identified five patterns of individuals and the things that turn us on. And some some of us are going to be all in one category. Some of us are going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that, um, and a smorgasbord of different combinations. So we talk about the energy energetic blueprint, the sensual, the sexual, the kinky, and the shape shifter. And you will find she will talk about all of the different qualities of the individual. And as you're listening to this, I think that you will find yourself either very strongly in one category or another, or maybe there's two categories that really represent you. But this is really akin to love languages, right? If you we talk about this in the show. If you met someone and you really like them and they spoke French, you would be like, well, damn, I guess I'm going to be taking some French classes, right? I'm going to learn some grammar and learn some, some vocabulary. You wouldn't say, oh, just, you know, screw it. This is not, um, this is not worth it. Right. So in the same way, it is a worthwhile investment to know your own erotic language as well as your partners, if you have one. And Jaya has a quiz as well, which we will make sure that we link out in the show notes 
out so that you are able to take your own, uh, to learn more about your erotic blueprint and be able to communicate that with partner or partners as you may have them. And I think you're going to find this really interesting. I had a really fun time recording this conversation. I learned a lot about myself and I hope that this was, and this is going to be as valuable for you as it was for me. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Jaya. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. I am just tickled to welcome you to the Better Podcast. Welcome. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And it's my great pleasure. Yes. And we are going to be talking, this is going to be such a juicy uh, conversation. We're going to be talking about uh, all of the, uh, we'll call them the, as you call them, the erotic blueprints, understanding our sexual pleasures, just kind of like love languages, uh, which we've talked about on the show, but this is in a specific sexual context and you've developed in your work uh, sort of five archetypes that we're going to dissect today. 
Um, before we get there though, uh, I was saying to you in the pre-chat, I'm kind of like a big, like wonder woman. I'm kind of like a Marvel person, but you know, DC has my heart with wonder woman. So I always want to know origin stories. This is kind of where I like to start with a lot of my guests. So, uh, want to understand, you know, becoming a somatic, uh, sexologist, which you are, I don't know that that's necessarily an option in high school when we're, you know, <laughs> graduating. It's like, what are you going to be? I'm going to be a somatic sexologist. Like, how do you come to the work, uh, that you do? Uh, was this something that you noticed early on in your, in your own personal development? Uh, you know, were you attracted? Was there like a, you know, an initiating event or, you know, just maybe fill us in on how you became to came to do the work that you do? Yeah. Speaking of superheroes, uh, Dr. Ruth was my superhero when I was a little girl. So it was something for me that I either wanted to be a Broadway singer or I wanted to become a sexologist. I wanted to help people with their sex lives. But I remember being really young and for some reason, of course, growing up Catholic, it was like, oh, that's shameful. You know, you shouldn't go into those kinds of things, shouldn't talk about those kinds of things. And so I told my parents that I wanted to go into fertility medicine because that felt way safer than helping people with their sex lives. It felt but official, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Official. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was official. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was somehow I saw Dr. Ruth and I got really inspired and I, I was just drawn to it. Even when I was really young, I was the one who told all the kids where babies actually came from. It wasn't the stork. Let me tell you the lowdown on it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I just, you know, everybody I think has some gift in the world and this was my dharma. My dharma was to bring light to a topic that we have a lot of shame and taboo around. I love that. And then, so what is the, tra what does the training look like? You know, I would assume that there's a lot of work that you have to do, uh, personally in order to be able to hold space for, you know, and if, when I, when I say this, I, I, I think about, you know, a lot of the women that I've counseled over the years, my background, of course, is a chiropractor. So I saw people at, in, you know, a clinical setting where they might be coming in for, you know, diffuse pain syndromes or headaches or, or whatever. Um, but oftentimes there would be stories that people would tell me about how they became injured. That would be very activating, um, mm -hmm. for me. So I had to work a to not care more about their progress than they did. That was kind of one thing. Cause I, right. I, I always so like, wanted them. <laughs> yeah. Like every clinician, every coach, I think that's one of the things it's like, okay, you can't want it more than them, right? Like they got to really want it. You got to be the guide. Um, but what, what is the training like for you to be able to hear? Cause I would assume that you would hear some deeply personal, deeply vulnerable, thing. So how do you do the work as an individual to be able to hold space? And what does the training look like, mentorship, anything like that? One piece I think is our own personal journey of healing as healers who heal thyself. You know, I think that's a lot of the first step for me was growing up in a very traumatic situation, having experienced my own traumas, everything that I learned in healing myself could apply to others. And that was, and taking care of myself and knowing my boundaries, knowing what I could handle, you know, in therapy, a lot of times we talk about counter transference and transference. Yeah. And I had to know like, okay, where is it too much when I'm hearing a certain story that it's triggering my own things and those people need to actually be referred out to somebody else or that like, this is the thing that I really have magic in and, and work really well with. So part of i think the journey for all of us no matter if we are in healing professions or not 
is coming to love ourselves enough and know ourselves enough and learning how to love each other in that process. And mm -hmm. so I think all people who are in these professions are just, te we're teaching each other how to love each other again. And that means being able to hold space for someone when they're sharing that story. I get that everywhere. It's funny. I'll, I'll like be sitting in somebody's chair, you know, getting my hair cut and they're like, Oh, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing like an entire story about their sex life. And I think part of that is just creating a safe space where people know that they're going to be loved and accepted no matter what it is a practice of unconditional love for me, but also for the people that I'm working with so that I can hold them unconditionally in that. And that's where the healing lies. That's where we start to mend some of the mental health challenges and challenges around sexuality and, and trauma that we've experienced in our histories. And what was some of the, so you mentioned growing up Catholic, same. Uh, so I used to, so I used to um, think that getting into a pool, I could get pregnant. I was, you know, so like the type of like messaging right. was like, if you are, if you have sex before you're, you know, you're ruining yourself for your husband, like all of that kind of Roman Catholic. So, you know, girls up, don't. Yeah. Right. And like good, girl, good girls don't do that. Bad girls. And like kind of, uh, I want to say slut shaming, but it wasn't called that. I mean, you know, we sort of use that word word now, but it was like, good girls, you know, I remember there. And if you're watching this on video, I'm totally going to embarrass myself, but I'm going to do this anyway. So there used to be this little like jingle. It was like, a girl can sit like this, like this, like this. But if a girl sits like this, she gets this like this. Right. So it's like, you get all these like little stupid right? messages around, like you open your legs and you're going to get fucked. Right. So pardon, right. and we're going to already have an E on the, on the podcast. So you, you, know, you open your legs, you're going to get fucked by the guy, by the world. No one's going to want, you know, and, and of course you have, you know, examples where maybe, um, girls who were having sex with their boyfriends, let's say fell pregnant. And then you, you sort of see like the way that the family might've handled that and, you know, et cetera. So just if you if you don't mind uh, maybe describing some of the uh, messaging that you had around sex and sexuality and maybe even like what your um uh we'll say educate like if that's a, like sex education let's say was either schooling what your parents taught you if there was any at all mm -hmm. these are great questions and i think they're great questions for everyone to think about because i'll ask an audience you know 1500 people what was your sex education growing up how many of you had a great sex education it'll be like two people yeah i mean so so few people had a good sex education growing up and i said but you did have a sex education and it's all all of those messages from mm -hmm. religion growing up, from parents, from grandparents, from your peers, all of those things created what you believe and think. It's the programming and conditioning that we all get. Right. And so as I was growing up, it was definitely, I mean, a lot of the same things from Catholicism of good girls don't, you're going to go to hell, um, the body is bad, pleasure is bad, don't enjoy yourself, you know, save sex for this certain container. And if you're going to have it, here's only like missionary position and here's how and it's only for children and don't use birth control just a lot of and and a lot of messages around people who identify as women it's it was as a woman i am supposed to be in service to my husband i am supposed to obey and that is obeying god um regardless of the abuse or the trauma that those people may be inflicting so that mm -hmm. was a lot of the inherent messaging was that i'm bad 
the inherent messaging is I must be a monster somewhere, especially growing up in the abusive situation. Mm -hmm. That was the only way I could explain it as a child. I must be rotten. I must be one of those bad people who's going to go to hell because that's the only way that my life could be this kind of hell. Yeah. So So I got a lot of sex education. It was just, don't get swell belly. That's what my father used to say. Don't don't get get swell belly. belly. (laughs) And it's so funny because I I love what you're saying here because it's like the lack of conversation is also an education, right? You know, it's like not having a philosophy around something is having a philosophy around something, right? You're seeing clients, let's say, for a variety of, you know, you know, and, I, and I watched you on um, Sex, Love and Goop, um, which I thought was really, really interesting. And I really actually appreciated the show because they had a variety of different couples experiencing a variety of different, very common um uh, issues that we just we just don't talk about, right? It's just not you know we see. Um, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting their names uh, now, but they were you know one of them. Uh, they had both taken the test. It was the first episode or second episode? And Erica and Damon. Erica <laughs> and Damon. Yes. So she was you know an energetic, and then when he first took the test, he had come up as a sexual, which we're going to define for the audience in a moment. But then when you really got them on the table and kind of like experiencing some of the different. Uh, you know, uh, sensorial uh, toys and things like that. We we actually came to find that Damon was not ne- necessarily dominant in sexuality, but also an energetic, like a nice match. You know, I like or I say a match, a better match, let's say, uh, with his wife. And I think that it was interesting in that sh- in that segment. You said, you know, there's the mask of what men think that they should want mm-hmm. like touching genitals and penetration and like something that you know would be archetypal of the sexual um you know vertical Standard heterosexual man this is how i'm supposed to be yeah right and then on the table he was almost having like a full body experience with you know this the light touch and the energy work and stuff so um Talk to us a little bit about some of the patterns that started to emerge. I, I often say this in, in practice, like there was often, you know, if I had, uh, it's a little different, obviously, um, in terms of what our work is, but there was, you know, a, a certain type of person with like a chronic diffuse pain syndrome. It was like the same type of person. Mm-hmm. And there was also the same type of person who almost always had chronic headaches. There was often some type of like, hate my boss, hate my husband, hate my life, like, you know, the chronic headaches, there was always something else going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me about like the, the patterning maybe that started to emerge, and then we can walk through some of the different, um, the, the archetypes that you've developed. Absolutely. What I noticed, I've been in practice for almost 30 years now, almost three decades. And you do start to notice over time. And one of the main reasons why couples would come to see me is because they had some kind of discrepancy, some kind of what seemed like a mismatch in their relationship. And so when people are on the table, we're often going through these sensory games like you see in the show, um, different kinds of touches, kind of like when you go to see the eye doctor and you're doing like touch A and then touch B and you're going through the whole body that way. And... As a somatic sexologist, when I went to school, we learn to teach people about their bodies, how to map out pleasure in their body. So it's an education of, here's you, here's your pleasure, here's how you're wired erotically. And I was really inspired by a man named Jack Morin, who wrote a book called The Erotic Mind, and he talked about 
basing things off of peak erotic experiences, not dysfunction. And that that really inspired me of, well, what are the peak experiences of pleasure that people have experienced and how can we take them into those experiences and and learn help them learn more about themselves? So a lot of it is how do we presence it in the body? Like, here's what's happening. Wow, do you feel that? Like your body's getting goosebumps all over. Oh, you just took a deep breath. Tell me what's happening. Like Which is an erection. Yes, absolutely. Right? Every hair follicle is getting an erection. Yeah, you know this. You're a geek like me. <laughs> Panacean corpuscles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so these these ways of being with somebody when you're really present with a body and you really listen to the body the body will tell you it will give you information and then i also am friends with esther perel and we we would just ha start talking and she wrote a book called mating in captivity which also was an inspiration she also has something called a rock blueprints that are a little bit different and it is this idea of what is your map what is the map of your eroticism and how are you wired specifically? And so just over many, many years of working with people, I'll never forget the first day it clicked in my head. I was working with a couple and she, she was trying all the things out of all the magazines, you know, like if I do this, I'm stroking my hand up and down for those of you who can't see me, you know, on his genitals, then he's going to get an erection. Then we're going to, you know, like all the things that the five tips tonight to make it hot, you know, the Cosmo, often, the Cosmo five, you know, whatever. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we think like, oh, I'm going to go do that. But what if the person isn't wired with that blueprint and so then you fail and then you feel like then he wasn't getting an erection he just felt pressure and was it wasn't turning him on and then i started hovering my hands over his body like i was like a foot off of his body and all of a sudden his breath changed and everything quickened and he got a lot of sensitivity and then he got an erection and he opened his eyes and he looked at me like what is happening because nobody had ever touched him like that without touching <laughs> and she's looking at me and they're just like what is going on like how is this possible and that was the day i just said like you're energetically wired like you're not wired for pogo stick, you know, bouncing up and down on your genitals. That's <laughs> not what's going to turn you on. And so that was one of the day when it just really clicked for me that there were these types. Yeah. And I think uh, I, I've heard you say in the past, you know, if you met someone who spoke French, you wouldn't be like, well, and you were really into them, you wouldn't be like, well, like we can't like we can't be friends or we can't be lovers or whatever because you speak French. You'd be like, well, I'm just going to sign myself up for a French class. You know? I'm just going to learn some grammar so that we can start communicating. Exactly. And I think that it's the all same, skills. Yeah, it's a skill. It's a skill. And I love that reframe because I think that the societal norm around it is that you meet someone, maybe there's chemistry um, and it should just be easy. Like it should always just come like naturally, you know, pun intended there, maybe, uh, you know, it should all just be, you know, everything should be easy. If there's any, ever any problems in the bedroom, then that's, you know, the state of affairs with your entire relationship. Like that's where it should always work no matter what. And then when there are issues and, you know, through the arc of life, you know, a woman is in her premenstrual years, then maybe she gets pregnant and she has a baby and then she's postpartum and then she's perimenopausal 
perimenopausal and she's menopausal. There's so many different, let's say, ebbs and flows in her, just in her hormonal environment and her priorities as she grows and evolves as a human, that of course your sexual life is not going to be the same that when you first started. Right. Um, It's never static. We do not have a fixed identity. It's very malleable. And especially because we can learn new skills. But if we if we start to fix our identity and start to go, this is the way that I am, and then we, we need to defend that identity, and we get unwilling to meet our partner or to understand that identity is malleable, then that's where the problems actually lie. It's not that we're mismatched. It's the challenge can be when somebody is unwilling to learn French. Somebody is unwilling to... Um, say, hey, well, maybe I can become something new that I didn't know. Maybe I can, maybe my identity is not so fixed. Maybe it's more about, less about who am I and more about what is the experience that I really want with my sexuality and relationships. That is so important because I think, and this is, I think this is a lesson, not just in the sexual realm, but every, this can be in the parenting realm, this can be in the friend realm, because when you, when you draw that line in the sand and say, this is who I am, I'm static and unchanging, what you create is polarization, right? Because the, the, the other person in that dynamic is going to say, okay, you're far over to the right or the left or whatever. And I am just going to oppose that to kind of in a, is as a way to promote almost homeostasis or balance i have yeah. to go to the other end of the extreme and then you know in the sexual realm if you sort of extend that you know that that example then what happens is people start saying well we're not sexually compatible i have no desire i'm not attracted to her anymore or him or whatever um and then we get you know divorce rate. I don't even know what the divorce rate is anymore. It's like 70, something like that, 60, 70%, something like that. And, and maybe those, those marriages should dissolve. Maybe, um, maybe it's because we don't, we're not speaking the same language anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or we're just unwilling. We're unwilling to do it with that person because that same thing will keep showing up. I really believe that I see that too often in relationships where people will end a relationship and you take it with you. You take whatever beliefs, traumas that are unhealed and those constructs from society with you into the next relationship and they'll keep playing out until you resolve that within yourself. Yeah. And you recreate it. Yeah. I mean, again, coming back to sex, love and goop, the other couple that was being, it was another therapist who was working with them. They were, I think it was Raman and Francesca, I forget her name, but she was, she was German and they were just like, you know, he was, she was the mom and he was like the pleasing little boy. And like, Mm -hmm. I remember, um, Gwyneth Paltrow saying something, you know, she was like, I I was going to leave the marriage and we were going to end it. But then I figured this was probably going to show up in my next marriage. I remember Gwyneth Paltrow saying, yeah, like a hundred percent, it would totally show up. And just to your, to your point around, you're just going to recreate that environment if you're not doing the personal work. Yeah. 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 And, and to me, sexuality is usually that one of the scariest places for us to do that personal work, which is why I call it the final frontier of personal growth. It's where we are most afraid to look. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's we often are. the last place we go. We are, and it, it is such a, you know, at least my own, uh, at least in my own experience, I can just comment on my own, obviously not everybody or listeners of the show, but it has been the, one of the most, uh, I'll say powerful alchemizers in my life. It has been the thing that has really helped me change and alchemize really 
pain into pleasure and to actually feel good in my body. So I think that, you know, you were talking about having a traumatic upbringing. I've talked about, you know, briefly on the show, not, you know, to like to everyone's you know boredom, but you know, we've a, a lot of women have in their past history of physical violence, sometimes sexual violence. And I think that that, of course, that's going to, you can't, that can't not show up uh, mm-hmm. in your personal life. And for, at least for me in my own healing journey, um, and there's been many ways that, um, you know, that I've done it, but one of the things is that reclaiming my own sexuality, my, my sexual power, uh, sensuality, eroticism has been such a powerful way for me to feel good in my body because, you know, we're taught in society, like hate yourself. You need the bag, you need the mascara, you need the, you need the, whatever the thing to make you happy. And I think once you can unhitch yourself from external validation and you can, you know, start looking internally for validation, one of those ways, I would say through masturbation and, and other, you know, sexual practices, um, then we start to like get okay with our own body and like the, the, we like, you know what? I love my cellulite. It's like just dimples on my cheeks, you know, just like my, (laughs) (laughs) like dimples on my other cheeks, you know? So you, you, you begin to have this like, you know, sense of acceptance, right? Whereas before using the cellulite example, you know, it might've been like, I'm never wearing shorts. I'm never going to wear a bikini because I absolutely can't have that because what I see is airbrushed pictures of people on Instagram and that's how I need to look. And if I can't look like that, then I'm going to hate myself. Right. Right. And then that spills into every relationship you have that you start to create an entire reality based upon that. What different reality do you create when you really love yourself and you accept yourself? It's, it's, it's very powerful. And sexuality is one way in which we start to love and accept ourselves by, by knowing ourselves better. Who are we as erotic beings? I don't think many people ask that question. Who are we as erotic beings? Well, that's a perfect segue into understanding <laughs> our blueprint, our erotic blueprint. So I know that um, you mentioned Esther Pearl has, you know, slightly different archetypes. Why don't we, why don't we walk through yours and um, how we might uh, understand. And my understanding of this work is that we're like a little bit of everything. We're not just one thing or the other, or is that possible as well? Can it just, you're just one person or do we have some people are, of- they're okay. like, you'll see some people who are like 99% sexual or 99% energetic. You'll see some people, but most people, the majority are mixes of these blueprints. Okay. So yeah. let's start with energetic. You mentioned energetic. What does that what does that mean? If you are as someone who has neurotic blueprint that is energetic, how are we uh, activated or stimulated? How are we aroused? What does orgasm, if that is a thing, how, what does that look like for that individual? Um, let, let, let's just start there and see, see where uh, we go. Energetics are someone who are turned on by anticipation, space, tease, longing. They love to yearn for things. And oftentimes the touch that feeds them most is a touch that isn't actually on the body. It can be a few feet away. It could be very light, light, energetic fingertip touch, usually slow and very spacious. The shadow side of the energetic is someone who is short-circuited very easily, like very little stimulation can short-circuit them and then they dissociate from their body. Oftentimes there is a history of trauma that causes that, but there's a hypersensitivity to them that causes like, whoa, too much, too fast, too quick, and then they just check out. 
The superpower of the energetic is that they can, because of the sensitivity, they can actually orgasm pretty easily. And orgasm can look many different ways. Sometimes it's a shaking. There's like a vibratory frequency that moves through the body that starts to shake. And if you've watched Sex, Love, and Goop, you'll see some of that happening. Um, in that, I do a demonstration, and I think it's episode two, where I demonstrate what this looks like, where my partner's not even touching me, and it looks like kind of like a puppet moving the body because my body is responding to his touch because I feel him even though he's not. It touching. looked like network spinal analysis as a chiropractor. It does. So I, you know, it it does. looks like network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. A lot like network. Mm-hmm. It was actually network spinal that uh, helped me understand what I was doing um, in studying some of that because I didn't really understand how to even explain it until mm-hmm. after I looked at some of that. So, yes, or- orgasms can happen without touch. Orgasms can happen with thought. Orgasms can happen with a memory or a smell. Um, and is the orgasm, and this is just my mechanistic brain, is it the same orgasm as a like, is it the same kind of we're activating the pudendal nerve and you're getting like contract, like for a woman, let's say she's getting like vaginal contract. Is that the orgasm you're referring to? Or is this a different type of orgasm? It can include that. So sometimes the pelvic floor will start to have the orgasmic contractions that happen with more of like what I'd call a sexual orgasm. But oftentimes it's like a spinal wave. Oftentimes it's an energy that's moving through the spine. Um, which is orgasmic life force energy, and it affects the entire spine. For some people, it can come off the top of the head. It depends on how their energy, how clear their energetic system is. Like kundalini kind of? Like, like kundalini. It has okay. a similar, or some people call it shakti, like right. shakti energy is moving through the body. And these can create the spontaneous movements. Like in yoga, the asanas, the gestures in yoga actually came from spontaneous ecstatic movement. The body would go into it. And then we were we're replicating what was a spontaneous movement from going into ecstatic states of consciousness. That was something that that really struck me because I'm like, oh, we're practicing yoga, but actually those postures are postures the body naturally would do when they would go into these ecstatic states. And so that energy naturally moves the body. It's not something that you do consciously. It's because the orgasmic energy is moving through the body, it moves the body naturally. Sometimes when you see um, animals uh, like shaking off trauma, they have this, or like if you touch a horse, like I remember when I was in Montreal, we were taking a horse drawn buggy or whatever with the family and we just touched the horse and the whole, you know, little area that we touched, it was like just this like little uh, wave. And it kind of reminds me of what you're talking about. The other thing that I, and I could be completely wrong here. So correct me. The other, um, as you're describing it, um, I would say that my own experience with psilocybin, uh, psychedelics, I have had that kind of release. Uh, or if I'm doing like a really crazy leg workout, (laughs) I'll find find like afterwards I'm just shaking and I just have to let it, I just have to let it move because there's something, let's say in my hips that needs to be released. Or like for me, whenever like my upper body, it's like my right shoulder has to, has to kind of move. So there's Mm -hmm. like almost like there's trap there's trapped energy maybe uh in the nervous system that has to that has to release is that kind of similar to what you're that what you're describing 
Yeah, if we look at Peter Levine's work and somatic experiencing, you'll see this as, uh, and also some of the work I did with John Upledger way back in the day, um, was to find those points of energy and then let the body shake. If you can get the body either back into the position where the trauma happened or the energy starts to move to that spot, it will spontaneously start to shake. Or if, like, if you go in nature and you see a deer get hit by a car, it will stand up and it will shake right away because it's shaking off the trauma so that it doesn't get stuck in its body Mm -hmm. and so this and a psychedelic therapy it will happen a lot there because there's actually freedom now something starts to happen in the body and the neurochemistry shifts where the body then can go back and experience what was unexperienced what couldn't be experienced then stan groff talks about that if for those of you who are geeks and want to read all these people yes um, yes i'm going to make sure these are all in the show notes work on you know experience what we couldn't experience so in the moment of a trauma oftentimes human beings don't do this shaking we don't allow ourselves to experience it and part of it is because our brain is protecting us mentally you know if a tiger is eating a deer there are parts of its brain that are going to shut down so that it's not in suffering but as we go through life if we haven't gone back and allowed ourselves to re-experience that trauma and psychedelic medicine can make it safe mdma can make that safe psilocybin can make it safe for us to go back and experience the unexperienced and then we can release a lot of what was stored in our bodies. So some people naturally are energetic this way without needing to remove the filter. Like I need something to remove the filter because, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, I'll say I'm, I'm more of like a thinker. I have to work to get into my body. Like it's like, I often live like throat up, you know, like I'm very cerebral. <laughs> so it takes some time for me to actually sink into my body, but there are individuals uh, you know, from what you're describing and what we saw on that show and, and your body of work, I think, um, and your, you know, your 30 years um, that you mentioned in practice where you will have people that are so sensitive, let's say, to energy that they can orgasm they in in in, in, the, in the multitude of ways that you're talking about but it doesn't have to be physical like we're not depressed like we're not touching we're not making contact with the skin in order to do that absolutely so some people are just naturally wired that way and energetic i mean i'm i'm very energetic and i'm always exploring what's erotically possible one of my mentors joseph kramer he said what's erotically possible and i just took that on as a life mission <laughs> and you know, I haven't found the end to that. And especially being energetic, we can start to go into transpersonal spaces. And so you can start experiencing, I don't know if you've seen the movie. What does that mean, transpersonal? What does that so mean? Transpersonal is like, like we have this physical realm, right? I have this physical body. This meat sack. And then we, yeah. we, we have our meat sack. Mm-hmm. And then we have the emotional realm where we feel all of our different emotions and we have more of a sensorial experience in that realm. And our mental realm, like you mentioned, you're very cerebral, you know, we have those realms. And then in the transpersonal realm, this is where we have things like seeing the energy of the chakras or experiencing other iterations of ourself. Um, I became a bird, you know, and suddenly I'm flying over fields as I'm making love with my lover, like those kinds of experiences that we can't necessarily explain, but feel very real in the moment when we're having them. Mm. Um, and then the final realm is really like the deepest truth, like what is our deepest truth and our deepest experience. And so when I'm working with people, I'm often taking them through these realms. Well, what's happening in the physical body? You have pain in your pelvis. 
that pain is not just always physical, kind of like what you were saying, like sometimes when people start to tell the story of the thing that happened there and it's very emotional or I can be in their pelvis and all of a sudden a woman will remember persecution that has nothing to do with this yeah. lifetime. Yeah, it starts know? in the brain, all pain. Start, I mean, just mechanically, mechanistically, it starts in the brain anyway, but I love I love that. I would always often like my headache patients, like you start to get into, you know, little areas of the spine and suboccipitals or whatever. And it's like, you know, my boss is just like driving me nuts. You know, it's like every time it's like puts her on the right side, she talks about her boss. So yeah, it, it's very, there's stories that are stuck in the body. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so as we're working sexually, especially in the pelvis, oh my goodness, the stories that come out oh of my goodness. Yeah. the pelvis mm -hmm. and anything from childbirth to, you know, which is very real, this body experience to I had an experience of pelvic pain and someone was working on it. And I went through like all of the iterations of myself that had been persecuted for being a sexual, like being a, you know, female body, being in a vulva body where I was speaking about sexuality publicly you know it's like what and that was a it's huge a, i'm sure it's been a witch hunt yes at times. Yeah. <laughs> yes mm -hmm. and so um you know people who are energetic tend to go more to the transpersonal space for their healing and for what they're experiencing and when they're in orgasm they can start to go there like my lover and i became stars i mean this is something that really happened to me i was making love with a lover and all of a sudden we were two stars and we were like dancing through the cosmos and it was so beautiful and i didn't have a body and he didn't have a body and then we orgasmed and we birthed a whole supernova <laughs> you know mm. like these are the kind of ecstatic experiences that are possible for energetics I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. And then you mentioned the shadow side because we are so hypersensitive, maybe in a male that might look, would that look like premature? Like, would that look like ED for a male? Would that, what would that, how would that present, let's say, uh, for a man or, or a woman? Yeah, for a person who has a penis, it can usually be things like premature ejaculation, like the sensation's too much, so I'll ejaculate to stop it. It's not a conscious thing. It's just what can happen in the wiring. Mm -hmm. And then ED can happen because I short circuit and I'm out, like, you know, the same. And we don't it's see that. It's, yeah, yeah, we don't see that in a vulva body, but the same thing happens in a clitoris where you'll engorge with blood and you get like a clip boner and then, <laughs> and then that'll go away, you know, like it'll just, or it can become too sensitive. Like even there. during the course of like stimulation, Absolutely. let's say it can be like, that's too much. I need you to change what you're doing because it's, it's hurting. 
Yeah, it starts to turn into pain. It turns over into something that doesn't feel pleasant because it's it's so much for the system. You don't know how to assimilate when you're in the shadow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. So we have energetic. You mentioned sexual. I think that one's probably the easiest for most people to understand. Uh, explain what sex what the sexual erotic uh, blueprint is. So the erotic blueprint type that is sexual is what we think of as sex in our culture. It's penetration. Sexuals are turned on by nudity, orgasm, um, getting to the end goal, certainty that they're climax. Yeah, certainty that they are going to have a climax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, it's so funny to me when I see the blueprint sometimes because I'm like, yep, sexual because it will say things like, are we going to have sex? Am I going to be inside of you? Are we getting to the climax? Like, that's what it kind of becomes all about, which can also become a shadow. It's like missing the journey because there's so much focus on the end goal. And also, I think because it is the standard narrative of our culture, the shadow side of the sexual can also be like, what's wrong with everyone else? You know, it's sex is good. It's great. Like, why aren't we having it all the time? And what's wrong with you if you don't have it like me? And you don't like it like me. So it can be really hard for them to expand into other blueprint territory because they have that fixed identity. They can be the most fixed in identity around their blueprint. And I think that's more, would you say that's more typical when we're talking about like maybe sexual or sex, you know, gender dimorphisms, let's say it, would you say that that's more common in men versus women? Like when I hear that, that sort of sounds like the narrative that we, you know, like it's like the man complaining about his wife, you know, like it's, it's uh. <laughs> not to, not to paint broad. I know that that's not true for, of everybody, of course, but I think when we think of like Pornhub and we think about you know, all the things where we, you know, we associate with sex and you mm-hmm. know, is that more common with men, would you say to be a sexual archetype? We've had about a million people fill out that quiz. Mm-hmm. Um, And then we've taken the data to see, well, is that true of gender? People who identify as cisgendered men, is that true? That they are mostly sexual blueprints. And what we found from at least the people who fill out our quiz, and now maybe sexuals don't fill out the quiz, I don't know. But what we have seen is that really across the board, there are all of the blueprints pretty similarly. It's not... Across men and women. It's not what we think. And I think that this is a... A masking that a lot of men do um, is that they mask because it's what culture tells them that they are supposed to be. It is the training that they get from early on. And when it comes to their bodies, especially, you know, the quiz is one thing, but then when I get somebody on the table and we go through their body, it's not true that most of them are sexual blueprint. And so... But they start off that way oftentimes because it is what culture has designated them. And then those uh, men who do not fit into that feel like something is wrong with them. And so they walk through life feeling like I'm out of place. I should be this way. And I I really want to dismantle that mythology that all men are sexual and that's the way that they're supposed to be. Or that they're simple in their sexuality. I mean, sexuals do not lack depth at all. They do have a simplicity. The sexual blueprint does. Um, But it does not lack a depth to it. 
I love that you're saying that. And I feel like I have to check myself too, even in the question that I asked, I'm like, oh, that's like guys for sure. But just, <laughs> but even in the way that you described that, I think that that's so beautiful. And I think that that was actually one of the things that came up on that show as well, where the, you know, Damien was like, I'm a sexual, I want penetration. That's like, you know, man, like I'm a man, I like it. And then when he got on the table, it was actually that he seemed like he was more pleased by and derived a lot more pleasure from some of the softer, uh, we'll say nonlinear, non-tangible, like the energetic kind of realm. Um, and I remember him like after, like, you know, he had, he was like a talking head at the camera and it's like maybe just right after the session with you. And he's like, I don't know, like what happened to me, but I can still feel it. And I want to do this like all the time. Like it was so, <laughs> he was so elated. He was so, uh, he felt it all, like there was this liberation, uh, you know, feeling to him, mm-hmm. um, which, which was really nice. And I think that, you know, this is a podcast primarily for women, you know, our demographic, we, a lot of clinicians listen to the show. A lot of women listen to the show, but there's not a, what I will say, um, is that there's not a lot of support. Like women, we can talk about our feelings. We can talk about how we're feeling. We can talk like good, bad, ugly, all the things, uh, men don't necessarily have the same, uh, societal uh, permission and or avenues to express themselves to the full extent that let's say, uh, you know, to use your term, like, you know, cisgendered women might. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's, it is really um, a lovely thing to be able to explore, you know, if you're in a relationship with, with a man, what is it, is it that he's a sexual archetype? Maybe great. There's some simplicity and joy in that. You know that he's going to be, you know, he's going to have ease of arousal, as you were saying. Um, but are there other sort of dimensions to him? Maybe there's some energetic. There's some other ones that will get. Maybe there's a bit of kink, right? Which we can, which we can talk about. Um, can I say one more thing on that? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. I think you know we do our men a lot of disservice. They don't get touched intimately if it's not about sex. And then they don't have each other to go to. There's so much taboo about like can a man just hold a man and it doesn't mean anything sexual? Can a mm-hmm. woman hold a man and it doesn't mean anything sexual? It's just holding. Physical touch. It's just touch. Yeah, Physical touch. It's just like we all need that physical touch. And so there's so much confusion in a sexual where if I'm being touched, that must mean we're going to have sex. And, and there is a pain in the sexual. In the shadow side of the sexual, there is a pain which is it's a tension in their body. Like there is so much sexual energy coming up. They don't, and they've never been taught what to do with that. Mm -hmm. So the main thing that society teaches them is suppress it, hold it down. Don't let any woman know that you are, you know, turned on, aroused, you know, you want her, you want to just stick things in her, like all those things, right? It's like suppress all that energy. But then what are they doing with that energy? They're just in an energy of suppression, which then it has to come out somewhere. It has to come out sideways usually, which is where we get a lot of our darker, you know, aspects of sexuality because we've been suppressing so much Mm -hmm. and energy. I, I literally just was talking with someone who is a sexual man and he is like when I was a teenager, I wanted to commit suicide because I didn't, it was so intense, the sexual energy, all the hormones, all the things. It was so intense that I, I, it, I felt horrible. I was like in pain every day until, you know, I discovered self-pleasure and some other outlets to do something with it. But mm-hmm. because we made all those things taboo, what are the healthy outlets so we can raise this consciousness, bring it up through the body instead of trying to hold it down? 
Well, talk a little bit about, I know we're talking about all the different blueprints, but what would be some actionable takeaways, let's say, for someone who's listening that's like, I want, like, I love sex. It helps me relax. You know, I, I love the, you know, art of and activity of penetration and or orgasm and or climax in the traditional way that we're uh, kind of describing it. What mm-hmm. are some practices that somebody, you know, like that, like that client you were describing might be able to engage in so that they can not suppress it. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't come out sideways so that it, we can, we can have a productive, let's say, I don't know if that's the right word, but productive use of the energy. Yeah, one is to create a practice of self-pleasure that really fulfills the feeling of release because sexuals love that feeling of release. They have sex to relax. It makes them just feel like that tension, that pain is gone. Mm -hmm. And I think one is to also realize that there is tension and pain. We don't even realize that that, that's what that is. It's actually like something you're trying to get rid of. Um, and can you sit with that and get curious about that thing that's rising up, that sexual energy that's rising up and start to have a different relationship with it? Tra- sexual transmutation, learning sex transmutation, which is how to bring sexual energy through the body instead of suppressing and out the top of the head, which then takes that sexual energy and raises the consciousness of that sexual energy. Um, and you can do that through breath work. You can do that through movement. You could go do a really hard leg workout like you were talking about, you know, where where you're you're moving that energy in a different way. And then the last piece that I'll give is if you learn how to expand into the other blueprints, it will help that sexual blueprint expand out of that limited, like, it's like you're trying to take a fire hydro- hose of water and put it through a straw, you know? And so, if you can start to expand into the other blueprints, then you have more places for your sexual expression. I love that because, you know, we, I've worked with... um I've worked with many athletes in the past and some of the messaging, particularly male athletes are given like in turn, like during term, like during high competition season, right? Like you're in a tournament or, you know, whatever it's semifinals, quarterfinals, whatever you are not to jerk off. Like you are not to release. And there's, you know, you can kind of look at it. There's a lot of different ways that you can slice it. You might look at that from a TCM uh, traditional Chinese medicine perspective and say, well, they want to conserve like what they're trying to do there is conserve their Jing energy. Like, to conserve that energy. And as you were saying, like to pull that up. Um, and of course, you know, just again, mechanistically, um, you know, that's just how I, sometimes that's just how I can make sense of things is it also, once you ejaculate, like for a man anyway, they're, they're very, once they ejaculate, very prolactin, like there's a lot of like, you know, oxytocin and like felicity, right? Like literally and figuratively, right? Like they're just, you know, that's why a lot of men just like fall asleep right after, um, uh, yeah, can I get on that for a moment? Of course you can. If you don't want to fall asleep and have that prolactin refractory period, that whole dip. One of the things that you can start to do is learning to pleasure wave. And so pleasure waving is where you'll get close. It's um, edging is another word for it, but you can get close to orgasm and then let yourself move into an enjoyment phase, which is where maybe you're touching the rest of your body. You're moving the, the chemicals through the rest of your body and then go back to the 
genitals and do more stimulation, raise it up and, and keep waving it like that, which will create a different chemistry where you're not going straight up dopamine and then prolactin and then you're in the drop. Right. Instead, we're looking at a biochemical wave that reacts very differently in the body and you start to get other neurochemicals that start to balance out the prolactin dopamine um, spike and drop. And then on the other side of climax, if you've been waving or if you've been edging is the uh, we'll call it refractory period or just, you know, on the you know, the mountain ride down. Uh, <laughs> is it is it kind of the same or do you see do you see that accelerated drop there or do yeah, you see sort of like a see wave the like accelerated drop because of doing the wave up and then the wave down? Same thing beautiful and you can have multiple orgasms along it especially if you're a person with a vulva like you can have a lot of climaxes along those waves um, and you won't get the dip as much let's just i just want to pause and ask about multiple orgasms because this is something um that i i would say you know kind of commonly spoken about that it's something for women to experience i certainly am one of those women who can experience multiple 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 like it just seems like it just goes on forever um yeah you <laughs> yay yay yeah it's it's wonderful i'm not gonna lie it's lovely uh but do we do we see this like so what you're talking about this edging is that something that we can um uh, you know, at least my understanding is that more women have the ability to have that multiple, uh, multiple orgasm on the way up to sort of like a really, you know, sort of big one. And then uh, can we see that as well with men with that edging technique as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my partner, he has learned to do it. And it's really funny because we'll, we laugh every time because like he'll have what feels like an ejaculatory orgasm and then we laugh because nothing comes out. We all, we both, we both look for it. We're like, what happened? Where is it? <laughs> and then he'll have like another one and another one. And then finally he'll have more of like an ejaculatory orgasm. So he's a multi-orgasmic man, non-ejaculatory orgasms. He can also have energetic orgasms now. And all of that was cultivated. That was cultivated throughout our relationship. So again, learnable skills. And for some people, it's just going to come a little bit easier because they have more energetic or they have other, you know, different biochemistry. There's all kinds of things that can play into it. Lovely. All right. Let's talk about sensual. So sensual, tell us what the sensual archetype looks like, feels like, how he or she, uh, or they orgasm. What does, what does that look like? The sensual is someone who's turned on by by um, all of their senses being ignited. So it smells, sounds, the taste of something very delicious. They bring beauty to the space. So essential is somebody who's going to like bring in the fur rugs and light the candles and have the plate of strawberries with the chocolate and the romantic music playing. Um, I think it's a lot of what cisgendered women get pigeonholed into. And what we saw just talking about gender and the, the quizzes and what we've seen with the blueprints is that women are about the same sensual and energetic. Not all women are sensual. Like I have very little sensual or had, I'll say I've developed more of it over my lifetime. And if I always tell my partner, like, don't do the strawberries and hot bath thing. Like I will just puke on you. Like, I don't want like, like <laughs> we're wasting <yeah>. time. <laughs> yeah, like don't waste your time on all that for sure. Um, but my partner's very sensual. So he likes to do it and it's more for him. I've learned 
than for me. Like he likes to put on the music and create the environment and have all of that because it lowers his stress. And so a sensual needs to relax in order to have sex. Whereas like a sexual, as I was talking about, needs to have sex to relax. They're like Mm -hmm. completely the opposite in that way. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And I, my blueprint is first sexual and then energetic. And so my partner is first sensual, I'm sorry, kinky and then sensual, but he was leading with his sensual all the time and he'd cuddle at night. And I'd just be like, oh God, he's cuddling with me again. You know, whereas like I would initiate sex by saying like, do you want to have sex or touching his genitals? And we were mismatching each other all the time where he's not, he's like, why are you being so direct? Why are you being so obvious? And we, this was before, you know, I'd really developed the blueprints and then we'd roll over and go to sleep and not have sex because he wasn't turned on by the way I was approaching sex, which or was having sex the way that you wanted and having sex the way that he wanted. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so shadow of the sensual is caught in the head. Uh, hard to focus. It's like, oh gosh, the desk isn't, you know, like here that I'm sitting at is like disorganized, need, need the candles lit, need like everything put the way the right way. And then I can feel sexual. All the things need to be in order. Um, or during sex, thinking things like, oh, I hope I smell okay. I hope, you know, like my breath is all right, or their breath isn't okay. And I can't focus on anything else but that. Mm-hmm. Um so those those kinds of like being afraid of mess don't like need everything to be perfect in your head you're running a narrative of everything that isn't perfect and so you can't experience what's actually going on in your body but when you're in your body your superpowers are that you can have all kinds of orgasms that are non-genital so the back of your knee your neck your nipples like all of these these the whole body becomes the sexual organ not just what's in between your legs that is so beautiful. I think that that I, if I, I'm going to take the quiz, I feel like that's, that would be my dominant because that is how I am kind of in every day life. You know, I love an environment is really important to me. So having a beautiful, you know, it doesn't have to be super expensive, but just having like a beautiful looking, maybe like a little flower arrangement, or I love interior design. I love all of these little things so that when I walk into a room, I feel like, Oh, this is like my little nest. It's like my little safe little place where I can feel like I can unwind wind and relax, uh, which yeah, is really Safety is really important. I love that you mentioned that because the sensual and their shadow has the hypervigilant mind. They're the most hypervigilant mind. And so they need to feel a lot of the energetic too, but sensuals really need to have a space where they feel safe, where there's no pressure to perform. Performance anxiety is huge in the sensual shadow. Um, and so, you know, you'll see things like you were talking about erectile dysfunction earlier. It's like, well, if there's any pressure that I have to perform, then that creates an anxiety and that anxiety then squashes the sexual arousal. That sounds so much like a type A personality. Like, that's why I'm like, I really feel like that's probably going to be my dominant when I take the test because I am a recovering type A because it has like, you know, a type A, if it's all or nothing, because they have that mentality, they'll choose nothing. It's like, if I can't, if I don't know, it's going to be a hundred percent. I don't want it. Like I can't, I'm scared to be a beginner. I'm scared to suck. I'm scared to like, not know what I'm doing and have unfamiliar territory. Yeah. Yeah. That, that unfamiliar to, I think all of us with sex though, I think we all feel that way a little bit, you know, sexuals don't want to go outside of their 
territory that they know because that feels like threatening to identity and all kinds you know confidence and ego and all kinds of things and so i feel like that can be true for for anybody who's learning in sexuality because it is so vulnerable and taboo and it's mm-hmm. and there's some kind of i don't know thing in our culture of we have to be good at this thing and yet nobody talks about it or teaches you about it or shows you how to do it. <laughs> and then our education around it is often silence and pornography, which teaches you, you maybe one blueprint and one blueprint. And we learn life. it from our peers. Yeah. Like you right? learn it from your friends who have no clue, again, zero clue about what they're doing. And then they're learning it from porn, let's say. And, you know, depending on what you're watching, like erotica and porn, like especially the way that most women are depicted, it's not, you know, it's, it's laughable. Like women don't come like that. Right. <laughs> like women are not screaming after two minutes and like coming you know, a second later, like you gotta, you know, and I've had, you know, mama Gina on the show and she's like, you gotta like, you know, she, she talks about like pussy power and like becoming more pussified. And she's like, mm-hmm. you gotta work, you gotta work for a pussy, like a pussy wants to be seen. And, you know, so it's, you know, she, she does it in such a funny way that you're like, actually, yeah, she's right. But what, what, what I wanted to ask you, cause you said something so profound. So you said a sexual archetype has sex to relax, but a sensual archetype has to relax in order to have sex. In order to have sex. So let's pretend you have those two, you have a couple, doesn't matter what orientation are together. One is dominant sexual, one is dominant sensual. How do they find their way together? How do they start speaking the same language? Teaching a sensual, I call them toggles. Toggles are things that help them make that transition from life. You know, if you have kids, if you're like working all day, like where you just don't feel sexual because you have cortisol running through your body and that hypervigilance is all turned on, that you need to have those things. So maybe it's taking a hot bath and putting on some lingerie. Maybe it's lighting some candles and making the room a certain way. Maybe it's like making sure the kids are taken care of at the sitter. Like what are the things that you need to do to toggle into the erotic atmosphere and create an erotic atmosphere for yourself? And I'll tell sexual partners, like just spend five, 10 minutes straightening up the bedroom. It's like the best thing you can do. Make a playlist of great music that turns them on. Take care of these things for them so that they don't have to take care of them and pour the hot bath and and do the candles and put on the music and change the sheets and start to create that. Um, For people who can, we have a room in our house that is dedicated to sex. Oh, that's lovely. Tell and me more about that. love that. You know, <laughs> my partner and I- I'm like salivating right now, like wiping. <laughs> Tell me more about this room. <laughs> my partner and I have had one ever since we've been together, which is now going on 15 years. And it's like a must. It's It's our sanctuary. And we have our massage table set up and a really good sound system and the fur rugs and the lighting is on dimmers because he loves dimmers um, so that it's all and we have plants and, you know, just all the little things that are going to make that. And then all of our toys away in drawers that are easily accessible so that we can 
get to them. And that it just makes sexuality so much easier. Like here we are, we can shut the door, we can lock it, we can go in and we can have our own play session in any blueprint because we have all of that put together. Homework for people I'll often give is like get a massage table and then put together your sensation play kit. What are all the sensations that you love during sexuality and start to use those during sex? So you don't necessarily, maybe you don't have room in your house to have a, you know, a sex room, let's say, but maybe there can be, you know, like a little basket in your, you know, your night stand or whatever, or, you know, you have some books, like some erotica and, or like you were saying, like a Spotify playlist or whatever playlist, not necessarily Spotify, just, you know, whatever. (laughs) Uh, And then you can have some toys, like some, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. And there's like a little, like if there's like a little special basket and you can kind of do that all up and that can, if you have children that can lock away somewhere. Um, You can even get lock chests, you know, like have a chest in your bedroom that you can lock and you can open it up and there's all your stuff. Beautiful. I love that. That is a really good homework assignment for all of my (laughs) Bettys that are listening. That's so great. Let's talk about kink because this one, I think probably the word, you know, when I first was reading your body, you know, first learning about, I was like, oh, what, I wonder what, is this like the ball in chain? Like, is this like, you know, whips and chains and like the gags and all that, but explain, explain what, and it could be that, but explain what, explain what kink is. So kink is anything that's taboo for you. So kinky people are turned on by what feels taboo, what feels like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And that can, it, it can look like what you were talking about with ball gags or chain or whips. Um, but it can also just be sex out of missionary position because that's taboo because you grew up with a very Catholic or Christian upbringing and you're not supposed to have sex outside of missionary position. So that just feels super naughty. So it really is. It's the thing that lights up your body because you're not supposed to be doing it. It's the thing that's like, that's the edge. And it's when people are wired this way, it's being on the edge that is the turn on. And that edge can look all different ways across the board. And then there's two different types of kinky, which is psychological based the edge is more in the power dynamic and in the play of the psychology versus sensation-based where the edge is in impact, like spanking, for example. My partner is both. He likes to have both of these dynamics of both the power play and the sensation. So is that more like S&M, like doms and subs and could, could be, I mean, all that can be part of it. Again, it's, it's, is it taboo for you? that's that's the question in this blueprint and so for him the the play would be something like having him tied up like he loves the ropes but the dynamic of the rope isn't so much about the sensation it's about he's out of control now so i can use his body in any way and he can't do anything about it so it's taboo but they like it yes they have to so it's like it's like kind of racy but they're like but i actually really like whatever it excites the body it lights the body up it's Um, you know, one of the sounds that I'll hear oftentimes with a kinky when we're doing the games is like a, oh, 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 oh." (laughs) that sound will come out, you know? Right. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably a kinky because there's this like, oh, (laughs) like feeling in their body that comes out in these sounds, putting on kinky leather boots and 
a, holding a whip in your hand? You know, what does that do for your body? How does that feel? And then actually like making the sound of the whip, how does that feel? And so a lot of the experimentation is, does this light you up and does it feel like an edge? Does it feel like something that you're not supposed to do? And we're, we're playing in that dynamic all the time. So my partner and I, when we were really struggling, we were in a sexless relationship for a while, the sex educator and the sexless relationship. And this was before I had discovered the blueprints and the blueprints really were a saving grace in our own relationship. And so I, I was talking earlier about how I would, I would initiate in the sexual blueprint and he would initiate in the sensual and we were like missing each other all the time. And I found out through my own work that he's kinky actually. And he, you know, we were six and a half years into our relationship and he had so much shame about it that he was hiding it which is so funny to me because i talk about sex all day with people like no i have no i have total acceptance like anybody it's that, masking. It's that masking thing you were talking about before Absolutely. right it's like, i shouldn't be excited by these things and i yeah. think that that's the main shadow side of this blueprint is why am i like this i shouldn't be turned on by these things and that's where that taboo of this isn't okay i'm not okay i can't share these things so i had no idea the extent of kinkiness that my partner actually was and he was number one kink and i was number one sexual and where were and, you on the kink and then i was zero kink zero and he was zero kink. sexual wow so he, we were completely flipped in our blueprint languaging and once i found out he was kinky oh my gosh the, the game over all i had to do was lay some ropes on the bed and i saw erections out of my mind like i've never seen before and i mean we started having a completely different sexual relationship like a very much of a sexual renaissance because we were finally playing within his realm which then brought his sexual online brought it up higher and then my sexual could be turned on because i could tie him up and then do sexual things to him <laughs> so we so found you were so when you were first. doing the kink to him whether you said there was two types sensation based or psychological based or both for him i think he was both you said mm -hmm. Were you turned on in that moment? Because your your dominant is sexual. So if you're just like, I need genitals, I need penetration, I need like how does that how does that dynamic work? At first, no. It didn't turn me on because I wasn't expanded into kink. I was zero. And I it, it was really hard for me even to understand it kinky was the last blueprint that I added because mm -hmm. it was so not in my own awareness, right? So like over the right. years it's my own work. And and so my my own partner really was the one to teach me and then eventually as i expanded into kink and found the places within that blueprint that did turn me on now it's a turn on and then we find these games because we have this you know differences in language we find these little games so like he came up with a game of i get to own his genitals i get to own his cock and that's a kinky dynamic in his mind right that at any time 24 seven, I could be like, all right, pull down your pants. We're doing a thing. And I make it sexual because sexual turns me on. So I can literally go to him and say, all right, I own you to take down your pants right now. And, and you get what you need. Because and I get what I need because we yes. found the game that overlaps our two blueprints that turns us on the most. And as that. we play those things more, his blueprint turns me on more. My blueprint turns him on more. And we expand into each other's blueprints.
That's amazing. I love that. So, okay. So the kink, just so, so if you're hearing like, you know, standing in like a, you know, you're standing in like leather and you have a whip and that's like, oh God, I don't really want that. That's not, that's not your thing. You have to be kind of like, oh, I wonder how that would feel. Or there has to be like a little bit of like, I'm kind of attracted to that, but I don't know why. And I don't know if I should be. And is it weird? Like that's sort of like, you have to, you know, when you're kind of putting the filter on, like, do I have these sort of kinky, uh, Inclinations. inclinations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, is it like, oh, I wonder, I kind of wonder what it would be like to kind of just be in like a thong that was pure leather or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Right. And what is the cycle? What is the psychological? So the sensation I get, like it's, mm-hmm. you said impact. So it's like spanking, maybe it's chains or whips or whatever. What What is the psychological? Did you say? Did so you the mention? psychological is when you're in a power game. So like with my partner, for okay. example, me owning him or owning his orgasm, like right now I own his orgasm and his genitals and that's the game. And we'll, you know, we'll play that. We'll negotiate that. We'll negotiate the parameters of that. But a lot of it is that I'm the one in control of him and that I can do these things to him at any moment because that are agreed upon. Of course, you know, we've had a consent conversation There's and consent, things, yes, right. Yes. These are the things that are off the table. These are the things that I'm allowed to do. And just the threat that at any moment I could do this is the turn on. So it's more, it's that it's happening more in his mind in his fantasy of what I might do. And he, you know, he'll get a little let down if I haven't done something during the day because he's anticipating it all day long of what I might do with him. I love that. And how often do you play these games? Is it all the time? We do them quite frequently. We used to do um, either we do sex labs which a lab is when we're discovering something new, like, oh, he wants to play with something we've never played with. So that would be more of a lab. And then um, we'll do also sex life challenges where we'll take like for 30 days, we're going to do this kind of challenge. So what we've been doing with this game is it's two weeks and then we renegotiate. Do we want to keep playing or are there things we need to tweak to make it better? That kind of thing. And then we take breaks every now and then just to integrate what it is that we just experienced. And how do you integrate? What is it? What does the integration piece look like? I love journaling for integration, you know, what worked and I'll write down everything that worked. What do I want to do more of? So doing questions like that to myself and then going to him and we'll have dinner together and we'll share. Okay. Well, what did you love about that? What would you like to do more of? What could we do to enhance this even more, you know, in the future? And then I also like dyads. So sitting down with your partner and not necessarily having a conversation, but tell me what you loved about that. And you just keep going back and forth with tell me what you loved about that. And that's a way for us to integrate as well, just because when you're, you're hearing what they loved, they're hearing what you loved, you're also getting new ideas. Oh, yeah, that really worked as you're going through. That's so good. And like, that's really um, the essence of of a healthy relationship is communication. I mean, everything is communication, whether you're leading a company, you know, you're in a long-term relationship or, you know, relationship with your, with your partner, whatever parameters those that looks like. Um, yeah, it's, it's all about communication. And I don't think, you know, to your point earlier, we don't, we're not necessarily given the tools to communicate, right? right? Like maybe your partner or you didn't have the, you know, he was like, God, I just, 
I really like being tied up or being on the ropes or whatever, but I don't know how she's going to react if I tell her that, you know, if we have, if we do the work, let's say to know that there's different languages that we're all kind of speaking in, you know, like you were speaking part Portuguese, mostly French and a little bit of (laughs) Japanese. And he was speaking a little, you know, like no Japanese. And he was speaking, you know, some other combination of languages. But when we start to kind of learn the dialects, we'll say, just using the language example, uh, that that's like when the magic happens. And, you know, my, one of my core values with my partner is I completely reject the idea that, you know, you settle into a relationship and then like things just like, you know, you, you, you're like all over each other. And then like 20 years later, you're roommates. Like I reject that I think it's horseshit. (laughs) And I like, I am all in for like legendary love. Like I want my relationship to get better with time, not worse. Um, and so, and that's how I play in all areas of my life. Like I want my body to get better as I get older, not worse. Like I want more muscle as I get older, not worse. I want more, you know, freedom to play, not less that kind of thing. And I, and I think that what you're hitting on here um, with the communication is, is like, I'm getting so excited hearing that because there's, it, it opens up the realm of possibility for your relationship, like 20 years from now, like how much more are you going to know? Because you've been exploring, let's say the kink dynamic that you would have never done otherwise because you were zero, right? Right. How much more are you going to be able as in your own personal development, lean into that. But then as a couple, how much more symbiotic that relationship becomes? Yes. Yes it leads to a life experience that is rich. Yes. Well said. Well said. Uh, one, we have one more shape shifter. Yes. Um, tell me what this, tell me what this one is. So the shape shifter is someone who's turned on by all of it. They want it all. <laughs> they want it now. They want a lot of hands. They want a lot of things. They want a lot of variety. The shape shifter in the shadow is someone who has often been told they're too much and they're too complex, but that's actually not true. They're just erotically sophisticated. And the the shapeshifter can start to shut themselves down and shrink themselves because they're so big in their erotic expression. Mm. And and so it's like it's like the the kid who was just like, woo, you know, when they were little and they were like loud and expressive. And over time their parents were like, shh, 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 shh. You know, it's like they've been shushed in their eroticism. Goodness their gracious. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I was told you're too, ch- you're too chatty. And it's like, I have a podcast now. And it's like, I was told, <laughs> oh, too bossy, too much, too this, too that. Always, I was, that was me, my entire upbringing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you may be a sensual shapeshifter. You may find out. Yes. Take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the shapeshifter also shapeshifts to be what others want them to be because they can be the ultimate lover. It's one of their superpowers. They can, ha- they can do all the languages because they're multilingual. And so if they have a sensual partner, they'll shapeshift to be sensual. And then they are not fed in all of the other variety of what they are. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're starving. They're the most starving out of all the blueprints. Just because, because they don't advocate for themselves. And they don't advocate they- and they, and they, because it's easy, it's easy. Like, Oh, I'll just shift over there. And then everything's easy. But if I start to demand these other things or want these other things, then I might be too much and it triggers. And then you get back into that trauma of like, Oh, here I am being too, t- too bossy again, too talkative again, too much again. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. actually it's your superpower mm-hmm. in actuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does a shapeshifter do? I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) 
slash myself. <laughs> what does a shapeshifter do in order for him or her not to be starving to and to and to begin advocating? Obviously, you know, I think I know the answer here, but you know, you know, being able to you know hold their own and hold the boundary around what they want, getting closer to their desires. Because I think a lot, at least my I can speak for myself and say that I spent decades not knowing what I wanted, making sure that everybody else was taken care of. I mean, this is sort of like a, you know, we hold it as a badge of honor as a mother, right? You like wake up and then and first thing you do is you serve your children and then you make sure your husband has the coffee. And then you, you know, at some point you look at your emails and you attend to everybody else's to-do list. And at the end of the day, you're like, what the fuck do I want? Right. You know, I've been giving to people all day long. So that, you know, that really does, does resonate with, with me at least. But for, for other people that are like, yeah, I feel that kind of feels like, that's sort of me as well. I'm, I have maybe a bit of a codependent, like it, may, it also kind of sounds a little codependent-y where we're like, I'll just be what the person needs me to be because if I'm my own, if I'm myself, then that's going to be too much or they'll leave me or whatever core wound mm-hmm. they we we might have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first place to start for the shapeshifter is this, is this question, what is it that will really feed me? Mm-hmm. What is it that will satisfy me? What is the practice of satiation? You know, I think that we do not know how to practice that, what it is to be satiated, what it is to be satisfied. And then, you know, if you have some friends who are willing to play, get six hands on your body. Get each person doing a different blueprint. You know, if you're not sexual with them, you can have your partner doing the sexual and then somebody's doing energetic in the room and then somebody's got a fur or something in their play. They're feeding you strawberries, you know, let yourself have a big experience and see what that's like within a safe container, within, you know, a consent conversation with people that you trust. If your partner is open to it, if you're in a relationship, if you're not in a relationship, you know, how do how can you get all of the kind of touch? How can you give yourself that or get friends together? We've had that a lot in our community and people who are learning the blueprints who really like, okay, I'm going to bust through some of the shame and I'm going to get my friends together and we're going to do touch that maybe doesn't include the genitals just because that feels uncomfortable. Um, but I'm going to get all the other kinds of touches on my body. Pleasure doesn't have to be genital focused. I mean, your whole body is pleasure. So, you know, somebody, again, who's feeding you something, somebody who's massaging your feet, somebody who's putting cold ice cubes on your hands or, you know, whatever would be interesting. I think that that's another great word for us shapeshifters. What is the interesting variety that you can give yourself? And for for how long, how much pleasure can you stand? And I think a lot of shapeshifters find out that there is no end to that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other, as you're you're talking, I'm like getting closer to your desires. You know, I I, I think that a lot of uh, shapeshifters and I don't know if I am, I just sounds exactly like me. So I'm like, I totally feel like I'm sensual and shapeshifter just based on some of these, these, archety- these archetypes. But I think that the shapeshifter doesn't know what he or she, I'm going to say she just because I'm referring to myself, but you know, he or she, uh, or however you identify, th- they don't know what they like what they truly desire. So one of the exercises that I actually created for my community, probably because it was for myself first, was like <laughs> you know, creating a desire list. Like, can you sit down 
and make a list of all the things that you desire from like the salad that you want for lunch and exactly the way it's dressed and how much salt is in it to I want a uh, pied à terre in the sixième arrondissement in, in Paris, you know, like, <laughs> like all the way up and then, a, you know, and all and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's very It was a very hard exercise for me to do. However, I will say that with practice and a little bit of discipline, like sitting down to write at least one thing that I desired every day, I now have like almost a full book of it. So I I am much closer, let's say, to the things that really light me up. And to your, you know, you said the shapeshifter is starving, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to sort of feed, you know, uh, feed the fuel of, of the things that I want, because it's very, very easy to be giving to other people. It just very much comes naturally. Um, so it is very important. And we were at the top of our conversation, we were talking about boundaries, you know, in your own personal development, like you had to learn how to set boundaries. I think that that's actually very, and you can, you've worked with thousands of shapeshifters, I'm sure setting boundaries. I would assume because it's been difficult for me, probably difficult for many shape shifters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, boundaries for each of the blueprints are a little different. So it's really interesting. You know, if we just looked at all of them, like the energetics have the hardest time because do you find that they're artists? I feel like those are like creatives and maybe again, I'm just painting my own filter on things, but I feel like energetics and sensuals tend to be the, usually the creatives Mm because the sensuals bring all this beauty, you know, like into the deliciousness of the experience. So there's an artistry to that and the music also with sensuals. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the energetics with boundaries, it's uh, it's a really big challenge. I, that's the one where, because to them, like making the boundary can hurt or there's also like a spiritual thing of love means I don't get to have boundaries. And it's boundary. It's because all boundary. love in different so dimensions. There's stars and they're flowers <laughs> and that would hurt, you know, everyone, yeah. not just yeah. them. Yeah. 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 And, then, and then for sensuals, it can be the getting the needs met. Like mm-hmm. I'm too, I'm being too nitpicky. I'm being ridiculous in my needs. I'm being ridiculous in these boundaries. So they'll have that little voice of, because I need it so specific, like you were talking about these, the specific meal and like the way that it is, they discount themselves. And so then they don't create the boundaries that they need there. Kinky can can be kinkies are usually the best at boundaries, because in the kink world, there is a, a lot of conversation about consent. And it, it's a must to keep yourself safe. Learning boundaries is a must in that within that blueprint. Sexuals, um, they, you know, they will be more boundaried around other blueprints, but not around the sexual blueprint. Like there isn't any, like, I just want it all. And then like, let's just higher, yeah, yeah, like, let's go. And then the higher the sexual energy gets, the more drunk they get on it. And often they'll override something in the heat of the moment. So that's how it will show up for sexuals. And then the shapeshifters are kind of like what you've, you've said, you know, it's like, what's for me and making boundaries around how much I'm giving to others so that I can then get fed. This is amazing. This has been amazing. All right. So we, uh, if people want to learn more about this and they should, I, this is a strong recommendation for me. Uh, I know you've written several books. Um, I, believe that you still run courses or maybe not. So if people like just plug all of your stuff, like where can people (laughs) find you? Where can people find out more about your work and how they might, you know, begin to integrate that into their every, every day life, like in social media, all the places. 
Yeah, eroticbreakthrough.com is where you can go take the quiz if you want to take the quiz and find out what type you are. And we have two different quizzes on there. There's an in-depth quiz, which will give you all the percentages of your blueprints, and it's much more information, and you get a report with it. And then there's a, a free quiz, which is, will tell you one type. That's your primary type. Uh, we also have an erotic blueprint course, which takes you through, I mean, really, once you know your blueprint, that's the first step. So you know your blueprint, then the next step really is learning how to feed your blueprint. What is it that really feeds you? How to speak the language of your blueprint. It is like learning a language. And how to advocate for yourself. Absolutely. Let's say, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And then how to heal the shadow aspects of the blueprint and then expand into new blueprint territory. Most people who take our work and go through the work and take this journey become shapeshifters because they start to develop the vocabulary of being multilingual throughout the process. We have workshops as well. There's erotic blueprint coaches. I think we've certified like almost 300 erotic blueprint coaches. And then I'm working on an erotic blueprint book. So I'm hoping that'll be out next year sometime um, to just take people deeper into the journeys of other people who've done this work and who want just more knowledge and wisdom around it. It really is a journey. To me, this is a journey of sexual awakening. And sex is a tool to help us wake up to who and what we are and create and choose our experience in this in this lifetime. And do you run any courses yourself at this moment or not at this time? At this moment, I'm not running any courses. I do take one private client a year, but I'm on a waiting list, which is lovely. Which is lo <laughs> it's a lovely, lovely problem to have. That's it is wonderful. lovely. Jaya, it has been such a treat speaking with you. Uh, I think that this has been so eye-opening. I hope it'll be eye-opening for uh, all of our listeners um, in their own sexual awakening and their own journey. Thank you so much for your time and your presence today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only.